0: We turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Genesis. Tonight we'll be in chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. Lord willing, next Sunday evening, we will uh, look at what God's Word says about a being named Lucifer. And uh, as we continue that L theme, And that will wrap it up as we finish that. But then from there on, as we reflect upon that, um, I've long wanted to do a series on angels in the Bible. Not because I certainly want to hold them up as objects of worship, but it seems to me that as I read the Bible, there's an awful lot of mention about angels. And we don't spend a great deal of time talking about them or about the spiritual realm of which we are a part. And uh, so hopefully as we go through that, we'll, we'll see the way in which God made use of angels in Scripture and how that use speaks something to us today. For we find them not only in the Old Testament, we find them in the New Testament, don't we? We find them during the time of the Apostles. We find them in the book of Revelation. So we shall dwell forever in glory with angels, with angels. So Maybe we're going to need to know a little bit about these creatures that God has created and uses. Tonight, though, we're on Levi, Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read verses 31 through the end of the chapter, but I invite you to leave your Bibles open as we'll be looking at a number of passages tonight that deal with a man called Levi. Genesis 29 verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the beautiful sunshine of this day and We thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to come this evening and worship you. And we just ask as we open this book in Genesis that you guide Pastor Bob and open our hearts and our minds as a congregation so we can go out into this world and profess your name. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings you have given us and continue to watch over us. This we ask in your name, amen. And amen. First of all, we want to look at the fact that as Genesis 29 points out to us, that Levi is a son of Jacob secondly it is a tribe of Israel thirdly it is a people of responsibility and then on the backside it is a symbol they are a symbol of calling A man called Levi his mother as reported here in Genesis chapter 29 is Leah the wife that Jacob does not love the naming of those first three sons including Levi, helps us to know and understand there's, there's a great pathos, is there not, in reading those words. We see this woman bearing children, hoping that the birth of the child will bring her husband closer to her, rather than the one that he loves who is bearing no children. She's looking for just some affection. She is looking for just some love. She is looking for just some caring She is looking for Jacob just to nod in her direction, just somewhat. So when Levi is born, there's that which goes with it. In the Hebrew, there's a, a catch between the idea of the word attached and the Hebrew name of Levi. And so there's the idea that maybe now, maybe now, he'll be attached to me. And how sad when we come actually to the fourth son. When Judah is born, her statement is simply, now I'll just praise the Lord. I'm forgetting all about Jacob. (laughs) This business of having children to try to draw Jacob in, to have him love me, it's going nowhere. I'm just turning to the Lord and just thanking the Lord for the gift of another son. She has completely separated this out from Jacob because he still has showed her no affection. Later on in the, the next several chapters, we learn that the Lord was gracious to her. She, her womb was opened once again, and two more sons are born to her. So his biological brothers are these, Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Those are the, of the sons of Jacob that are his biological brothers. He also has the one biological sister that is mentioned, Dinah. A man called Levi, his mother. Sad story, isn't it? His brothers. Unique lot. Unique lot that is all going to turn upon Joseph eventually. All going to be involved in the selling of him into slavery in one way or another. The next time, though, that he's actually mentioned, I'd have you turn forward just a few chapters to Genesis chapter 34. Genesis 29, we had his birth. Now, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 34, he's a grown man. He's mentioned there. It's really one of the few passages in the Bible that we have of actually the man Levi mentioned by name. He's often included with the brothers and involved with the brothers. But in Genesis chapter 34, we have him mentioned specifically by name. His sister that I mentioned a few moments ago, Dinah, has been defiled. Defiled by a Canaanite. Jacob's not willing to do anything about it. So Levi, along with his brother Simeon, decide they will. It's not a pleasant story. It's an ugly story. It's a violent story. They go to the men and they basically lie to them. The men of the town called Shechem, the mayor's son, is the one who actually defiled their sister. And they say to them, Well, if you really want to become one with us, if you really want to marry our daughter, our, our sister, Dinah, you, you're going to have to become like us. You're going to have to circumcise yourselves. Well, for adult men going through circumcision, that is not a pleasant ordeal, and it is also a great limitation. Simeon and Levi used the opportunity to go into the town and to kill all the males. Now, how they accomplished that, the Bible doesn't really explain how they were able to get from house to house without all the yelling and screaming, how people didn't escape. We don't know. The Bible doesn't go into that detail, but it does tell us they killed them all. It's a bloodbath. Simeon and Levi... This man, okay, this, this one who is the hopefully the one, the son of attachment, is the one who is involved in this. Jacob is angry. These two boys come back and it's reported what has happened, and Jacob looks at him and says, Do you realize what a stench you've made me in this nation? It is Levi who retorts to his father, What did you expect us to do? You just sat there and did nothing about our sister. But you see, what you're seeing, are we not, as a, a family in great dysfunction. See, Jacob doesn't care about the daughter either. Why? Because it's a daughter of Leah. It's not the daughter of Rachel. He probably would have acted then. He probably would have done something. But because it's Leah's daughter, eh, yeah, who cares? He's not going to make a move, he's not going to do anything, so Simeon and Levi take it upon themselves, although one would say, not from perhaps a biblical point of view, but certainly we would understand it from their brother's point of view, something needed to be done. And it's kind of interesting, Jacob says, you've made me a stench, and Levi replies, you weren't going to do anything, and that's where the story ends. Except, I want you to now turn all the way to Genesis chapter 49. This whole incident okay, continues on. For years, years, this sits. This, this thing that Simeon and Levi have engaged themselves in. We've gone through all sorts of human history. We've gone through the Joseph being sold as a slave. We've gone through Joseph rising to power. We've gone through seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. We've gone through decades and decades and decades of time. Jacob is now about to die. He's taking his feet. He's pulling them up into his bed. Okay, That was a sign and a symbol of the fact that death was approaching. It's happening. He gathers the boys to give him his parting blessing. Listen to the words that come out of the mouth of Jacob regarding Simeon and Levi. and You tell me, has he forgotten? Has he passed by it or is that incident still in the forefront of his thinking? What Simeon and Levi did, making me a stench in the eyes of the Canaanites. Pick it up with me at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, we call this Jacob blesses his sons. I hardly think that was much of a blessing. I doubt that Simeon and Levi are getting up from their father's hands upon them going, well, thanks, Dad. That was nice of you. Boy, that and a couple of cows will will be set. Now, this this, this is a prayer. It's, It's one of those prayers that's probably more of a curse than a blessing. But it's more of a prophecy. It's more of Jacob realizing that which is going to happen, that which is going to take place. I doubt these words did anything to settle any feuds or quarrels that are going on within this family. Sometimes old Jacob just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. He didn't figure out how it was that he was to govern his family, he didn't understand those relationships. And we come at the end of his life to this sad prophecy about these two men. Because when you read it, you you find it very personal, don't you? You still find Jacob, it's stuck in his crawl, what they did. And, And he wasn't going to be a successful businessman. Things weren't going to go well because of the way Simeon and Levi acted. So he doesn't want them to have any inheritance. I'm going to divide them in Jacob. In other words, see, they're not going to get a piece of territory. I'm going to scatter them throughout Israel. Oh, the words, though, that Jacob utters probably with some scorn are going to be used by the Lord. It's a prophecy because it's going to come true. But in the case of Levi, it comes through in a most beautiful way. It basically ends the life of Levi. That's the information we have about him. Those few scattered passages of scripture that reference him and reference the circumstance, most of which deals with turmoil, most of which deals with conflict, most of which deals with violence, most of which deals with bloodshed, most of which deals with a prophecy about being scattered. However, this man is going to have descendants. It's going to be a tribe in Israel. It's going to be the tribe of Levi. I want you to note three things about this tribe of Levi. Because they reflect back upon the ancestor. They reflect back upon Levi. First of all, their number. How many Levites are there? Well, we have two numberings. One is found in Numbers chapter 3, verse 39. There we're told that the number of Levites is 22,000. Now that's that's when they're at Mount Sinai, when they're about to leave Mount Sinai in order to go into the promised land. However, we know they don't. The book of Numbers details for us the 40 years of wilderness wanderings that they engage in. So the next passage I want you to turn to is in the book of Numbers, chapter 26. Numbers, chapter 26. God again orders another census. This time at the end of the 40 years. So they've wandered the 40 years. They're about ready to enter into the land of Canaan. And God says, let's count them again. Let's see what we got. And as you go through, it's rather interesting. Some of these tribes are decimated. And you think back, well, maybe that's a tribe that that rose up in rebellion, and maybe they're a part of the tribe that got the snake bites, so so many of them died. Maybe this is part of the tribe that the fire of the Lord came out against. Some of the tribes actually grow in number. The interesting thing about Levi is the number doesn't really change. There are 22,000 at the beginning, There are 23,000 at the end. That's what we're told about Levi. Except there's one interesting thing about the Levites that God told them when he numbered the Levites. He said to them, well, let me give you the comparison. Go back to Numbers 26, verse 4. Take a census of the people From 20 years old and upward. As the Lord commanded Moses. The people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were. Okay, So, who do we count? We're numbering the people of the tribe. We're numbering the men. And we're numbering the men who are 20 years old and upward. That's who you're going to number. But when we come to the tribe of Levi. We find something different. Pick it up at verse 57 of chapter 26. This was the list of the Levites according to their clans of Gershom, the clan of Gershon, of Kohath, the clan of the Kohathites, of Meri, the clan of the Maronites. These are the clans of Levi, the clan of the Levites, the clans of the Hebronites, the clan of the Malites, the clan of the Mushites, the clans of the Korahites, the clan of Kohath was the father of Amram. The name of Abraham's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. And to Aaron was born Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Those, and those listed, verse 62, were 23,000, every male from a month old and upward. Catch the difference? All the rest of the tribes are numbered in terms of the fighting men, 20 years old and above. But when you measure and count the Levites, you start counting them at one month old. And the number comes up to be 23,000. Now, what's interesting, when you begin to compare that and go back into Numbers chapter 26, what you find is this is a pretty small tribe. It would appear that the words of Jacob are coming true. Remember, he said, may they come to nothing. Levi as 23,000, if you start counting one month olds, even their number of 23,000 is a small number compared to many of these other tribes. But they're only counting the warriors. It would mean Levi was smaller yet. You almost see a dwindling tribe before your eyes. As if God's word, that retort, It's coming back, and the prophecy is coming true. Except our next picture. Go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. For what we're counted on when we talk about the Levites or what we're led to in God's Word is not only to look at that number and and to note how interesting that is, but we're also to note the zeal of this particular tribe. Exodus chapter 32 is the story of the golden calf. Moses is on the mountain. Aaron has you know, made the calf. They've taken the earrings, the gold jewelry. They've fashioned a calf, shaped it. There's a whole lot of uh, ungodly pagan things taking place. Moses comes down. He's angry. He's upset, throws down Okay, the the tablets that God has given to him and in righteous anger says something needs to be done. Who, who is it that will come to my side? Who is it that will stand for the Lord? Who is it that will gird on their sword? Well, one might say this is just sort of a family trait, isn't it? Their dad when something unjust had been done, girded on his sword, too, didn't he? We will set this right, and the way we will set this right is we will engage in bloodshed, and we will indiscriminately kill the men of Shechem. One interesting thing about Exodus chapter 32: The tribe remains true to its ancestors' nature. They gird on their sword. But this time, not in personal vengeance, this time, for the honor of the Lord, they take their swords and they go throughout Israel, killing, not pagan Shechemites, but killing fellow Israelites who are engaged in these immoral practices associated with the worshiping of the golden calf. And the Lord says, well done. Somebody stood up for my name. Somebody stood up for my honor. Somebody. The tribe of Levi. And the Lord tells Moses from this point on, this tribe is indeed going to be treated separately. This tribe is going to become unique. Next chapter to turn to. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. How are they going to be different? We have a prophecy. Genesis 49. They'll have no inheritance. Jacob most likely meant it as as a curse upon those two sons. But now they've stood for the honor of the Lord. But yet we have the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 18, the Levitical priest, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. End of story, close it right there. See, Jacob was right. No, that's not where it ends. They shall have no inheritance with Israel they shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance they shall have no inheritance among their brothers the Lord is their inheritance as he promised them no tribal allotment they don't get a patch of land they don't get a patch of earth they don't get as as we might say a state within Israel their inheritance is that they forever shall be in the service of the Lord. Their inheritance is greater than a piece of land. Their inheritance is greater than a mountain or a river. Their inheritance is greater than a meadow. Their inheritance is the Lord. This is the tribe that is going to be set apart for service. The Lord is their inheritance. Jacob's prophecy comes true, does it not? But not perhaps in the way it was intended. We see once again God intervening. We see God's grace come upon this tribe of Levi. Levi stinks to the rest of his brothers and to his father, to the Canaanites. Tim and Simeon both. What you guys did. But his tribe. What you guys did. For the honor and the glory of the Lord. Look. you stood for his name. And the Lord has given to you himself. As the inheritance. Now you might want to point me forward to Numbers chapter 35. In Numbers chapter 35, we again encounter, because there they're dividing up the land. And what we find out in Numbers 35 is God remains true to His word. They have no tribal allotment, but they are given cities in which to live. Because that would be the question. If you don't have a spot of ground, a state to live in, where are all these Levites going to live? God says, I'm going to designate These 48 towns, I'm going to, oh, what did Jacob say? Scatter them throughout Israel. And that's literally what God does. God takes this tribe and some of them are way up in Naphtali. Some of them are in Issachar. Some of them are in Reuben. Some of them are in Gad. Some of them are in Benjamin. Some in Judah. Some in Ephraim. They're scattered throughout. Even as Jacob said in prophecy. Once again, probably not in the way he intended. But the Lord, you see, the Lord has taken this and the Lord is forming and shaping this people unto himself. So much so that they become, third point, the people of responsibility. I can go through this rather quickly because we've dealt with some of these matters, but it, it bears in mind, okay? And, and the two things we have to keep in mind is this. One, all priests are Levites. The priests come out of this line of Levi, but not all Levites are priests. not everybody who is in the tribe of Levi gets to be priest only if you 're part of the family of Aaron does that. But Aaron is a Levite. That's why we read that other passage at length. So you know that's all part of the family. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because what becomes the function of Levitical priests and what becomes the function of Levites? The one thing that keeps coming back is these are the people with blood on their hands. Isn't it interesting what God has done? The ancestor who has blood on his hands from the the killing of those men of Shechem. Now God has taken this tribe and has turned them into those who will be performing the sacrifices for sin. Those who will be getting their hands dirty and bloody with lamb's blood from burnt offering blood. They're the ones who are going to stink, aren't they? But not a stench of disdain. This is, this is the stench, this is the smell that when God smells it, it's a beautiful aroma in the nostrils of God because it represents the sacrifice of His Son for sin. And this tribe, this man's tribe, is the one that God so uses. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Some of those Levites, as we have looked at in the past from Numbers chapter 3 and 4, some of them carry the items of the tabernacle. Some of them are involved in teaching. When you get to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you find that the Levites become the teachers of the community. They're the ones who take God's law and they're the ones who instruct the Israelites in the truths of God's law. It is the Levites who become the form and basis of the musicians in temple worship. They become those who are involved as the instrumentalists, those who are involved as the singers, those who are the sons of Korah, who is a Levite who raise up the songs of praise to God. These are the Levites who are in the house at night from that psalm that we looked at a number of weeks ago. These are the people that God has called into His service from this man called Levi. A story of of what God does in His grace and in His mercy. So that brings us to our fourth point tonight. They are a symbol of calling. A symbol of calling. And here I want you to leave the Old Testament and go with me to, as I think you well know by now, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and that's the book of 1 Peter. Because, you see, you could say, so why does God give us all this information about Levites? Okay, why is it all included in Scripture? And you have to admit, if you you know, like like we've done in Thursday morning, we've started at Genesis and we've gone through a number of the books of the Old Testament. There's an awful lot about Levites. There's a whole book set aside, the Book of Leviticus, is all about the work of the Levites. Why is why does that take such a center stage? Because you see, my friends, the Levites are a symbol. Of you and I. They're a picture of what God does. There is probably no tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel that is better representative of what God desires from us as believers as the tribe of Levi. I mean, we have to admit, we're like their ancestor, right? We stink with sin. We're rotten with it. We only deserve a curse and a condemnation. But God in His mercy, God in His grace, as we looked at this morning, has transformed our lives. So we're not the stinking Levi anymore. But we are the stinking Levites. And that's a good thing. Because that's the aroma of God in this world. Now, I call your attention to to a couple of things out of 1 Peter. First of all, go to chapter 2, verse 9. Peter is addressing New Testament believers, New Testament Christians. And he says to them, this is who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now I'm going to, what I'm going to lay before you is this, is I think that Peter has in mind with those words, the tribe of Levi, Because that's the only tribe that fits. See, the Levites were people who were a chosen race. They were chosen out of the other 12 tribes. The other 12 tribes don't get to have priests. The other 12 tribes don't get to be involved in tabernacle worship. The other 12 tribes don't get to be musicians at the temple. The other 12 tribes don't get to be the teachers. God chooses them. He chooses them for his people. A royal priesthood. What greater term could you have to, to center our thoughts back upon that tribe? Where do all priests come from? The tribe of Levi. Where do our priesthood come from? We're Levites. Why? Because we've been called out. We've been chosen by God as a holy nation, that which distinguished the Levites in the Old Testament is the fact that they were involved in the holy things. They were involved in the holy tabernacle. They were involved in the holy furniture. They were involved in the holy sacrifices. They were involved in holiness. That was their calling. They were to be holy. They were to be separated out for God. That's why God didn't want them to have territory. He wanted them to be fully dependent upon Him. They were that holy nation, a people for his own possession. Think back to those passages in the Old Testament, that that Deuteronomy chapter 18. What is it that they are given? Are they given land? No. What are they given? The Lord is their possession. But here Peter says, you are his possession." See, there are four things that characterize the Old Testament Levites. They were set apart for service from birth. Now wait for the fourth. They were set apart for service from birth. Is that not who you and I are? That God chose us in Christ before the very foundations of the world? That God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light? Are we not a people that has been chosen? A people that has been set apart for service, for His glory? Referencing again the Heidelberg Catechism, it's three sections. First section deals with our sin. Second section deals with our salvation. What does the third section deal with? Our service. Why have we been saved? In order that we might serve. Why were the Levites given the position? Why did God in His grace, as it were, step into the human scene and say, No, these are my people, Moses. We're going to use them for my service. We're going to use them for my service. For my glory. And as distinguished from the other tribes. From birth. Their calling is different. Every Levite born into that world. Born as a Levite was set apart for a particular purpose, to serve the Lord, set apart, we could say, at their birth. That's what we are. God calls us to be His holy people. How how is that to take place? Well, as I said when we sang the song, Take Time to Be Holy. There's two aspects of this, right? There's the Levites going about their regular work. They're involved in the tabernacle. Everybody sees them. That's that public display. But you know what? There was also cleansing going on. It was personal, private. There were things that the Levites had to keep themselves from. There were certain practices that the Levites only had to abide by. Why? Because they were God's holy people. Sometimes I need that reminder as the, as the preacher, as the pastor. Yeah, call you to worship. Come to church. you got to be at worship. You should be here twice on the Lord's Day. But you know what? It's just as important that we're on our knees in prayer to the Lord. It's just as important that we're with Jesus in secret. It's just as important that we're always looking to Jesus in our everyday living for Him to be our guide. See, that's holiness too. Holiness isn't just showing up to church twice a Sunday. It's that. But it's also that personal, private, non relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That too is holiness. See, that's what a Levite is. We are those who are called into service. To serve the Lord. Called to be his holy people. Not just in our prayer closet, but out in the public. But not just out in the public, but also in our prayer closet. Christian friend, we need that reminder. We need that. Because you see, the one gives us accolades. The other one no one sees but the Lord. The one can soon begin to smack of a work's righteousness. The other is humble contrition before the face of Almighty God. Set apart for service from birth. If you're in this room tonight and you are a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's you. God, from the time of your conception, has set you apart. It may have taken you a long time to get there. God moves in mysterious ways. But if you're a Christian, that's what you are tonight. You're set apart. As a holy person for the service, for the glory of God. But you are not without your inheritance. Just as Levites of the Old Testament had an inheritance that they too could look forward to. An inheritance of the Lord. Notice that Peter too speaks about our inheritance. Go back to chapter 1. I pick it up at verse 3. In the last time, you too have an inheritance that no one can take away from you. You too shall someday see the Lord. Father, we do thank You. It's hard to imagine what You did with this tribe considering the father of the tribe, Levi, Hard for us to to see how all that worked together, but Lord, that's how grace works. We don't always see and understand the connection between how you use an individual who is such a sinner. Sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend. Sometimes it's even hard for us to accept. And yet, Lord, we encounter your word again tonight and we're reminded that you do transform sinners. You transform them into saints. You transformed a bloodthirsty man into a people who had one of the highest privileges that one could have in the Old Testament, that of being involved in the sacrifices. Lord, you take us, sinners as we are. You wash us. You cleanse us. In the blood of Christ, and you call us holy. You set us apart for your service. Thank you for the privilege that we have of being your people. In Christ's name, we say, Amen.